so there was a uh, Sunday school teacher with some first graders, and uh, he was going to talk to them about heaven. So before he started into his lesson, he thought, you know, I'm going to get a little bit of feel for uh, where these young kids are at and what they believed. And so he asked them a series of questions. And the first question was this. If I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And the little kid said, no. And he said, all right. So if I cleaned the church, if I cleaned the church, mowed the lawn, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? No. All right. Well, if I'm kind to animals and I give candy to the children, would that get me into heaven? No. And so then the teacher said, well, then what would get you into heaven? Kid on the back row stands up and he says, you got to be dead. Well, this question we're going to take on here for these weeks as uh, we walk out a new series, Heaven, Who Goes There? Now, in America, if you were to take just sort of a general consensus, uh, most Americans think that there is a heaven, and they also think that they will go there. And so if I was to take uh, an evaluation here today, what are your thoughts? Do you think there's a heaven? Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think that you'll go there? Yeah, yeah, we'll go there. Because that's sort of the general gist and the feel of it. There is a heaven. People are going to go there. But the question really comes down to what most people think, and that is that there's some assumptions that are happening. And these assumptions are that good people go to heaven and I'm a good person, right? Now, I, I know, it's sort of engage here a little bit in these weeks. You don't think all that much about these kinds of questions. And, and one of the reasons is that you're just busy people. We got things to do. We, we got... Uh, uh, work to accomplish, we got uh, classes to take, we have home projects to accomplish, and so we don't spend too much time about it, and you so also with your friends and your family members, but these two assumptions just, just sort of hang out there in our culture. In fact, I was talking to one of our band members who works at a mortuary, and he says, I've seen a lot of funeral services, and he says, the general gist is, yeah, everybody's going to heaven. Why? Because good people go to heaven, and I'm sort of a good person. And so we're going to take on some of this uh, general assumption that happens to us in our world and our culture because, well, hey, we're, we're a church. Don't we talk about things? We just sang a bunch of songs about heaven and, and uh, just imagine and, and uh, to be able to sing Hosanna. It's like, sh shouldn't we have it right here? But I tell you what, if we went around this room, there would probably be some various thoughts as it relates to that question. Heaven, who goes there? And maybe it's something that 
if you pause long enough to think about it in your life, it's a question you would really like to have answered too on a personal level. So as we probe into this a little bit, I just want us to take some steps back, big picture, let's think through it and have some understanding, and especially as it relates to initially here, some of these assumptions uh, that's a part of our culture. What are the advantages to believing that good people go to heaven, right? Well, the first is that it's just, right? It, it would be fair. And if there's a good God and, and he has a heaven, then it would seem just and fair that good people go to heaven. I mean, it, it wouldn't be fair to think that they don't go to heaven. I mean, that would be sort of mean and cruel, right? And a second advantage to believing that good people go to heaven is that you make the cut, right? I mean, we don't really want to say it, but look around you. A nice sort of full room today. I mean, you may know the person to your right or to your left. I don't know. Think about your work world, maybe, and, and you don't really want to say it, but if you step back, look at your own life, and then you look over there, you're like, well, I'm better than that. And you look over there and say, I'm good. I'm going to make the cut. And person behind you, person in front of you is like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good because there's, there's this general feeling that we're good people and good people go to heaven, and so uh, we're going to make the cut. And it also then, an advantage of it, is it supports the notion of a good God. I mean, you take basically all religions and go back. I mean, they, I mean, who wants a bad, evil God, right? And if there's a God and then God's good, and if God's good, then, then he has good things in store for us, even though my life's a little crappy right now. I wouldn't think that God is out to be against me. And, and if he's gone to prepare a place for us, as read earlier, then, then it just fits, doesn't it? A good God. I mean, why would I be in church today if I didn't think that maybe God was generally good, right? If you're angry at God, and, and maybe you are right now in your life because of what something's happened, and you're not going to be found in church, it, it has advantages, this good people go to heaven kind of philosophy and theory. And then there's sort of a, another twist on this when you, you think about it, if you probe into the advantages of believing that good people go to heaven, is, is that the fear of not going to heaven should motivate people to be good. Don't you think? If good people go into heaven, then I need to try to be good, and the next person needs to try to be good, and the other people need to try to be good. And it's sort of like, you know, motivation. It's sort of like when your parents maybe ask you to do something, and they hung out a carrot, and they said, hey, if you do this, we'll do that, that kind of thing. So, man, it just sort of helps everybody stay in line, this theory that good people go to heaven. So those are some of the advantages. Those are some of the advantages, but... Um, I want us to poke at it some. Because in general, it's that kind of feeling. Good people go to heaven and I make the cut. And all we have. Uh, let's step back and let's poke into it and look at it more closely because here's the truth. There's an unsettling reality. An unsettling reality with the fact that if, if, 
a person or our culture believes that good people go to heaven because it just, it doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold together when we poke it and we try to think through it some. So here's the first thing. The unsettling reality is this. We have no indisputable, agreed upon, divinely revealed, multi-generational standard for what good is, right? I mean, look at, look at how you evaluate what's good, and, and the next person, how they evaluate what's good, and, and maybe somebody in another culture growing up is good. And, and if you want to look at some historical context of things, I mean, uh, think in terms of, um, I didn't really think about it this week, but I went back and looked at, do you know a hundred years ago, um, basically a hundred years ago, that women did not have the right to vote in this country. Well, why was that? Because the culture that existed and moved, they thought that women were sort of secondary kind of people. And that was a cultural thing, that the men ruled the day, that kind of thing. And so, you know, Friends, if, if it's true, all good people go to heaven, we know that's not good today because why? Because every human being has equal value and worth no matter what their gender is, right? Or their background, right? Human beings need to be treated equal and have equal worth. And so you're like, well, if it's true that all people go to, uh, all good people go to heaven, then probably there are no men that went to heaven before the, the 20th century. And women, hang on here for a second because we're all. Um, what about slavery? And I'm not talking American slavery. I'm talking slavery as it existed, servitude uh, in cultures throughout generations. You you go back uh, into uh, before the 1600s, 1700s, and it was just assumed that you could take certain individuals and you could put them in servitude, slavery kind of operations. Why? Because again, the evaluation of human beings. But today we said, well, it's, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. So there's this reality that things change. In fact, I, I'm watching on news. I don't know about you, but when you, when you watch on news, sometimes you go, well, where's the standard of good being defined as? And whether it's in the shiftings of, of uh, sexual morality or those kinds of things, and sometimes things get better, sometimes they get worse, but hey, what about for the 60s? And, and now where we stand on that front, is that good or is that bad? Were they, were they bad then? And, and we're all good, enlightened people now about sexuality and, and the freedom that can come with it. Or even you, you take a look at all the uh, uh, activity on war fronts in the world right now. And you go, well, some people think these people are good and other people think these people are good. Who's the terrorist? Who's not the terrorist? And, and how do we evaluate that? It, it, it's just, here's the bottom line with one of the most critical pokes you can make to this idea that all good people go to heaven. It's that good is a moving target. Even in your personal life, there were things that maybe you thought uh, were bad before, but somehow, for whatever means, you justify them, or maybe things change culturally, whatever, you're more enlightened now. And that's not bad now, this is good. 
And so if we're getting into heaven based upon a standard of what good is, then uh, we're at loss. Now you may say, Carrie, we're in, a, we're in a church and you're a pastor. You know that there's a standard for good. It's, it's the Bible, right? The Bible tells us what is good, right? But here's the thing with this book and this whole idea of who's in, who's out, whatever. If, if the Bible is the standard by which we're going to determine what is good, then you do not make the cut. You don't. Because the scriptures have woo, high marks for what is good. You know, it's interesting, and, uh, and we talked about it a few weeks ago. A lot of times people would say, well, you know, Carrie, we've got the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, that establishes what the standard of good is. But if I even went around in this room, let alone your friends, your relatives, those kinds of things, you could just simply ask the question, well, uh, name the Ten Commandments. Oh, I, I don't know that, Ken. But there's some, yeah, there's a standard there, the Ten Commandments or whatever. But the Ten Commandments, no one in this room has kept the Ten Commandments. I can guarantee you that. And if you think you have, come talk to me afterwards. We'll unpack your life a little bit. <laughs> no one keeps the Ten Commandments. And so if that's the standard, you're not in. And you need to know this, like with the Ten Commandments, we're not going to look at it in a, a couple weeks kind of deal. But the Ten Commandments come out of what book? The book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, it doesn't reference heaven. It may talk in reference of heavenlies, but not heaven itself. In fact, the whole Old Testament doesn't really talk about the afterlife that much at all. There's the sense of when you die, you go to Sheol. And, and what, what's Sheol? I, well, your guess, there's maybe. And so if the Ten Commandments were placed in Exodus, and there's not really in talking about afterlife, then you, you would be unwise to say, well, those rules are going to help you know the standard by which you can be good in order for you to get into heaven. So you have to keep poking at it. And if you want to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he was like at the top of being a religious person. The Pharisee of Pharisees, he kept the law. He kept the rules, right? And then he ends up meeting Jesus. And Jesus radically redefines in the Apostle Paul, this one who would seem to be good, what good is all about. And then the book of Romans, the book of Romans, Paul unpacks deep kinds of theology and understanding and perspective in this whole subject matter that we're speaking on. But it says this in Romans 10, there is no one righteous, no one who is good. Not even one. No one. And then you go through a few verses later and it says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. No one's declared good in God's sight by the works of the law, what they do. In fact, I don't... I'm going to do a little cul-de-sac here. 
these were heavy words he put here in Romans between these verses. Do you know how it goes? I mean, he just blaze on a plate. He says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Whoa! Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Do you want this to be your standard then? By which you define what good is? in order for you to be able to get into heaven? If you sow, there's a reality check that needs to happen. And we begin with the unsettling reality that we have no established standard. The scripture give us words of how to live. But the standard is not there for the purposes of getting into heaven. Uh, the second thing is we don't know what percentage of our actions have to be good to make the cut. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what, what is the grade? Is it like 70%? And is there any allowance for um, uh, the environment you grew up in? Like, you know, I grew up in a, a really solid Christian home, so I, yeah, I... I knew something was a sin before I even knew how to pronounce what the word was, probably. I mean, it was like, okay. But for some people, you've grown up in maybe non-religious or non-Christian backgrounds, and it's, it's hard to know what, what that uh, standard should be for good and at what level. And is it just actions or, you know, is it more than that? Or what about age? Isn't that good? Like, at what age does does the ledger start getting filled out? Like, I'm hoping maybe 50, right? Think about it. When, when are you going to, to establish that aspect of a good life in order to get into a good heaven by means of, yeah, there's a good God? Uh, the third is like, uh, this we don't know if thoughts and motives count against us isn't that true and that's probed a lot in scripture right because we're thinking like well if i'm actions yeah i haven't done that i've done that haven't done that i mean look at so and so look at so ooh, that's bad i'm good i'm gonna make the cut right but wait a second let's probe into that a little bit what about your actions in the mind your thoughts towards someone or about something that you're enticed by? Are, are those a part of this whole thing of what's good and bad and the percentage and am I in or am I out? And here's a fourth. We could really be out of time. And if so, you are being good for nothing. 
You know what I'm saying by that? A lot of times we think in terms of it as being a scale. So like, well, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things bad I did here. Whoa. But you know, there's a lot of good encouragement of other people and being sacrificial with things. And, and it, it, it's sort of like back to those Sunday school kids questions there. You know, it's like, so my, my, my good's going to outweigh my bad. But what if my bad is so bad and my life is so short that I don't have the time to be able to stack up enough good to outweigh that? So God gives me the nod because he says, yeah, tipping the scales, it's, it's sort of right in there. You're, you're good to go. Come on in. You could be out of time. And I don't know, if that's true for you, then just don't worry about it. You just go out of here today and, and you don't need to be good for nothing kind of thing and just be bad for everything, I guess. Here, here's a fifth one. We could miss heaven by one good deed. I mean, the cut's got to be made somewhere, right? All of us have taken exams or whatever, and even if the professor does it on a curve or something, it's like, there's the line. Oh, I'm below the line. I'm not above the line. We had the opportunity, my family did this past uh, uh, spring, uh, to be in Rome, Italy, and uh, we were knocking down tons of things that we were seeing and everything, and, and uh, we had held on to the last thing to go to St. Peter's Basilica, right, where all Catholicism is, where the Pope lives, that kind of thing. So we uh, made an excursion up the way for where the summer cottage is uh, for the Pope, and, and we wanted to see that environment. And, and then we knew that we were running late, but, you know, it was like we're, we got time. This is when you can get in line. You're, we're good. And so we got in line, a long line around um, the, the commons there, the Basilica Square, where uh, you've seen it on TV. And I'm looking forward to going into St. Peter's, seeing the dome, seeing the beauty of it, right? Long lines. There's people over here that are going through security, several security lines way over on that side of the open court. And so we get in the line, and we're standing there for a good while, and the line's moving, the line's moving, the line's moving. Well, I'm going to get to go in. I'm going to get to go in and see this. This is going to be sort of the pinnacle of, of Rome, right? And literally, friends, we are like, 20, 30 people away from where the security guy let people go on in to go through the machines. And all of a sudden, I see the line just starting to break up and disperse. It's like, you know, a bunch of cats running different ways. I'm like, what's going on? Well, I didn't notice that in front of St. Peter's Basilica, they, they had tons of chairs set up. And apparently, there was going to be some big service in prayer time. And so they were shutting down the line one hour early. And I'm like, let me talk to that officer. <laughs> I heard somebody in front of me talking to the officer. And they were saying the same thing I was saying. Do you realize that we've come all the way from across the ocean and this was what we were going to see and I am 20 people away and you're not going to let me go in to see St. Peter's? You know, they've done this routine a lot of times. There was no begging that was going to change that security guy's mind. And so after I stood there and tried to lean in and figure out some angles, look around, we disperse too. 
a cut was made. And the cut was made, and I wasn't in the queue. And so if you're going by, hey, good things, you got enough good things, good people do good things, and good things from good people get you into heaven, then you need to know this, that there is a cutoff, and you don't know where it's at. If that is what you're going by concerning heaven and who gets in. There's, uh, there's one other thing with this, an unsettling reality, is that we think, hey, good, good people, good heaven, a good God. Well, I, I don't know if, if we're left on this earth without any clarity on this issue of what's good, that's good enough, theology kind of thing, then I, I'm not so sure that God is good. Why? Think about it this way. If you had a teacher who um, never gave you the textbook to read, never gave you a time frame in which you needed to do well, and never even told you that the final exam, what time it would be taken, and you were just left that way for the semester, but yet you needed to pass, that would not be a good teacher. I was on the phone this last week with my daughter who's in college, and she was complaining about this in that class, and I was trying to empathize with her, and I'm like, really? The teacher didn't do that? I don't know if that's a very good teacher, right? Or what about in your job? If you had a job performance review coming up and you uh, uh, were being evaluated in a certain way, but, I mean, what, what, do you, what do you call a boss who doesn't ever give you a job description or tell you what to do? You may call that your boss. I don't know. Hopefully not. You need to know what you need to do in order to be able to do that and accomplish that and get evaluated on it. Or, or say, for instance, you were a cross-country runner, and they said, all right, here's the starting line, but there are no signs for where the course is across the school campus, and um, we're not really going to tell you how long it is even, and um, we're not going to uh, uh, let you know when it's going to stop. Who does that? And so this idea that good people go to heaven, but how good is good enough? This is a big problem because we don't have a clear definition of it. Don't you think that if God is good, if God is good, he should show up and tell us what is expected? Sort of like a good enough 2023.0. Every generation, just show up. Things change, so how are we going to figure this out? How good is good enough? And here's God, you show up, you tell us, so we can start to move forward according to this theory that good people go to a good heaven because of a good God. It doesn't 
happen with the belief that good people go to heaven because we can't answer the question how good is good enough so what do we do well some of you like suspense thrillers I could just simply say don't miss part two But that wouldn't be very fair to us, would it? Let me give a few thoughts and personal reflections, and then let me encourage us to come back for part two. If the whole pursuit of goodness in order to get into heaven collapses on itself once you start to poke it, then what do we do? What do we do? Well, you need to know this according to Scripture and according to the life of Jesus. And you may agree with it, not agree with it. I'm just simply saying this is what the book says. According to Jesus, good people don't go to heaven. According to Jesus, good people don't go to heaven. But Jesus did, he did instruct his followers to be good and to do good. That's in the book. Be good and do good, part of his teaching. But at no time, but at no time did Jesus equate goodness with entrance into the afterlife in the eternal realm. Because no one is good enough to get into a perfect, good heaven and live eternally with a perfect, good Savior like Jesus Christ. No one is Jesus. There is no one righteous. Not even one. All have turned away. Jesus... He would teach about how to be good and how to do good, but at no time did he call us to do so for the purpose of entrance into the eternal world. He would say things like, you know, be like my father in heaven, but not so you can go to heaven. You see, God... On this whole subject matter of heaven, who goes there? He did not give us a list to be good to get into heaven. He gave us himself. In other words, as it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He showed up. That was what God did. He didn't give out, here's a standard, or here's the job description, or here's, you know, all this, and you do this, and you get into heaven. No, he knew the condition that we were in. And he knew that he needed to show up. 
you know, for Christians, there's some different variations on this whole thing of good people uh, uh, go to a good heaven or how good is good enough kind of thing. And some people would say, you know, um, for uh, human beings, there's just no one is no one's righteous, right? In fact, we're so bad that we couldn't even we couldn't even identify what good is. And then there's another camp that says, well, God sort of picks, God sort of chooses. These people are going to get in, and these people aren't, and it doesn't matter how you live. And so there's some willy-wog thinking, even with Christians, on this subject matter. But God, he made the decision to show up. He so loved just a few people, the people that could figure it out. The people that he picked that are in and those that he picked that are out. No, he showed up. He so loved the world, John 3, 16 says. He so loved the world that he what? He gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, anyone, here, there, around the world, wherever, whoever, whoever believes in him, in Jesus shall not perish, but they, they will have eternal life. So God, God knew, and I don't know, and, and maybe it's like Bowman, you sort of go there a lot, but I'm like, I live in a spiritual world, there's a spiritual battle going on, and the best lie is about 95% truth sometimes, and so when I look at the adversary and Satan and how he works and how he deceives us, you know, that's a pretty good line. Hey, good people go to heaven and look at you. You're good. You're not bad like other people. Well, no. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. What God says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God knew that we weren't good. God knew that we can't measure up. That whole sin nature coming all the way back to the fall like we talked about in this last series, that's just so inbred that even if you try really, really hard and you get accountability people around you and, and you keep your eyes off things and you try to protect your thought life, that you're going to stumble. God knows the condition of us. And he didn't come to condemn you. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been checking God out much in your life. You need to know this. God does not condemn you. God wants to save you, change you, and redeem you. God doesn't want you hung up on the do-good system. He wants you to hang out with him who hung on a cross who died for your sins and for my sins and was raised from the grave so that if we believed in him, that our sins could be forgiven. As it says in Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And right before that it says, come, let us reason together. Let's think through this. There's no way, Carrie, you put your name there. There's no way that you'll ever be good enough. So just chuck that system. And let's look at what the scriptures teach, what God teaches. And he says, I showed up so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. 
Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands in one sense condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And that Son, Jesus Christ, when he hung on a cross, do you remember this scene? Some of his last breaths. He's hung between what? Two really good people? No. He's hung between two thieves. Two bad people. That's why the cross is such a disgrace. Why is Jesus, the perfect one, up there as a criminal on that hill of Golgotha? But it was on that hill that one of those men cried out to Jesus in belief of him. And what did Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? How can that happen? Because it's not based on being good. That guy was out of time, right? There's no way. God showed up. It's based on your belief to follow after Jesus. But the one who does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And that Son who died on the cross, who was there for the punishment of our sins, for all the wrongs that we have done and all the wrongs that we will ever do. If you ever worry about that, about, you know, I don't know if I'm going to hold it together, and it's not that you go out and you live a life of badness, but everything, past, present, and future, of badness, of not goodness, of sins, he took upon that cross. And that's why Jesus was able to say to those who would gather around him this powerful truth, And he said it to his disciples when he was trying to give them some last-minute instructions and to understand the big picture. Jesus himself said what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how good is good enough? Jesus. That's it. You measure up? No. Jesus says, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. And we're going to pick that up when we continue to pursue this question well, then what do I do? Let's come to part two. In fact, next week, normally we have communion the first Sunday of the month. And I said, You know, there's so much beauty and what we're going to be looking at next week concerning this truth. I want to move communion to next week. If you're here this morning, I trust that you're able to get off the train of being good to be able to get into heaven. To be good even to have a good life. But that you're able to acknowledge where you're at in your life And do as scripture says, repent of our sin, turn from that life. Jesus taught us, right, to to be good and to do good. But that goodness had nothing to do with eternal life. You cannot clean up your act enough to get in. My wife was recently at a funeral. 
And though at most funerals, yeah, everybody thinks they're going to heaven, she'd talk to a relative, extended relative, and this relative says, at my funeral, nobody better say that I went to heaven because I'm a bad person. Well, if you go to heaven because you're good, then he's right. But if you go to heaven and you're able to have hope for this life because God showed up, then there's hope. And so if you're in that camp today, don't find yourself being unduly condemned. Conviction is one thing. Conviction of wrong to right and turning from those sins. But do not find yourself beat up or trying to clean up in order to make it in. Because it doesn't work. You need the one who showed up and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I want us to pray. And if you're at that place where you've maybe sort of heard some of these thoughts, we poked it a little bit, and you're like, my thinking needs to shift. And today, I want to embrace the Lord. Then I want you to pray with me. Will you? Lord, this morning, we are so grateful that you showed up that you so loved us that you sent your son, God, into this world, not to condemn us, but to save us. And that if we believed in you, we would be saved. And if there's anyone across this room or watching online this morning that has found themselves in a, in a busy place where maybe they've not even thought about this stuff much, or if they have and they're discouraged by it, they just try to ignore it and just move into the next day, the next week, the next holiday season. I, I pray, God, that you would illuminate their soul and their heart. And if they're at that place where they want to place their belief and the trust in you, that they would do so this morning by a simple, quiet prayer that says, I do repent of my sin. And I invite you, the one who is only good, to come in to be the Savior and the leader of my life. And from this day forward, as you enable me, I will follow you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me hope in my day. Thank you for giving me a hope of eternity. Amen. You know, when you stand at the funerals, and I've been a, to a pretty good few myself and led them, there's a big difference between those funerals that have family and friends that know this truth. They grieve. We all grieve at loss. But when you have the hope of eternity and the hope of being reunited with your loved ones, you don't grieve as the world grieves, who grieves without hope. You grieve with hope. And that's my prayer for us. In fact, you may be going this week in this a hellish kind of week, and some of you don't even realize it. The songs we sang and the focus we have, take that with you this morning. Because even in the grief of difficulties of life, you do not press through your sufferings without hope. You have hope because of what God did. He showed up for you. I want to encourage us to 
continue to join together as a church family through this holiday season. I'm going to ask that the ushers would take their places for your tithes and offerings, but also your connect cards if you filled those out or any prayer requests you might have on the back of them. And um, if you want to give, you can give your tithes and offerings by just texting the word AWAKENING to 77